time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Monday, September 28th, 2020. Thank you so much for joining us whenever you're listening to this episode of the Get Home Safe podcast. Well, guys, it's another week of shows. We're starting off here on Monday, as we often do. And as of right now, we're going to try to go forward and do five shows this week like we've been doing. Uh, We have a guest today. Obviously, Bill Barnes is scheduled for Wednesday, as he is every single week. And uh, tentatively, we have another guest that we're going to try to put out for Tuesday. But uh, as of right now, we're going to try to have our regular five uh, days of the week show. Uh, If we don't have a guest, then, you know, some of the episodes might be a little shorter, and that's fine. And it's not so much uh, a guest list that we're short on, it's finding time, as I kind of mentioned to some of you guys that... Uh, I, uh, I started up a new job and so it's a little difficult really to find the time, but I'm willing to give it a shot. We did this, uh, recording with our guest today. We recorded with him, uh, kind of last week or uh, over the weekend a little bit. And, uh, let's just kind of give you guys an idea how things are going. Uh, today on the program, we're going to be joined by Brian Earls, very good friend of mine, an outstanding young football official. And, uh, you know, I, I always kind of, I shouldn't say always, but you often you get that label, right? Oh, he's a really good young official. He's a really good young uh, worker at whatever business uh, you guys do. But I think you also reach a point when it's like, hey, it's, it's not so much. You don't want to be labeled a young guy anymore. You just want to be labeled really good at what you do, not just good for your age type of thing. So that's kind of Brian. Brian uh, started football officiating right after I did. And I was kind of climbing the ranks, do, doing a few things well. And Brian kind of saw that, hey, a younger person could really uh, do a lot of these things. And he uh, dove dove right in, just fully committed really to this world of uh, football officiating. He's done a lot of things uh, that I have not, and he has far surpassed my officiating career. Uh, he's an outstanding official, as I said, and just a really great guy, a really good friend of mine. Uh, I look up to him now as an official. Uh, I still consider myself one, even though I don't really officiate often anymore. Uh, but I, I do consider Brian one of the best at what he does. Uh, and yes, he is a younger guy as far as the officials go. But um, no, he really is. He does a great job. He's officiated countless uh, CIF finals, uh, some very big games between schools like Bos- John- St. John Bosco, Modern Day. Uh, he's officiated the College Division Three National Championship game. Uh, we had the white hat of that crew on a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, um, Michael Frayn, but you'll get a little different perspective today from Brian Earls and his experience working uh, a national championship game where, where uh, a champion was crowned no matter the level. I think that's always uh, awesome. And uh, Brian's currently working in the Big Sky Conference, which is a Division One AA level. Uh, it's known as FCS, right? Um, the, uh, we've had a few officials, uh, or we'll see, see, we had Scott root on a few weeks ago who was a big sky official. And, and Brian is a guy who's just getting his feet wet, uh, with that level. But I can promise you this 
very big things to get ahead for Brian Earls. Uh, more more games in the big sky, and I am very confident that he will be working uh, some very important games on Saturdays at some high levels here in the very near future. And, and who knows, maybe even maybe even beyond that. So uh, I'm I'm excited to follow his career. He's a good friend. He doesn't live too far from me as I've moved out here towards his neck of the woods. But we're going to talk a lot about football today, a lot about football uh, from the officiating side of things and also some of, uh, you know, Brian's old playing days. You know, once upon a time, Chino High School was a very good football program out here in Southern California. Uh, they've, they've seen better days for sure, but they used to, to be a really good program. So we'll talk about Brian's experiences there as a player as well and kind of how you mature as a former player going into the world of officiating. Uh, but we'll get to that in a second. I have a few thoughts over a, a very busy weekend. Sports weekend was just crazy. Uh, I got a couple days off from, from the new job and was just kind of happy to uh, not do much, just hang out with some friends, watch some sporting events, and there was a lot of them. Um, the Major League Baseball season wrapped up on Sunday, and their playoffs are set. There's uh, eight eight uh, teams in each league that are going to be in, in the uh, in the playoffs and it's an exciting time man you've never seen anything like this with the 18 bracket there'll be or 16 team bracket 18 eight different two, three game series starting on Tuesday it looks like uh the local Los Angeles Dodgers were the number 1 seed in the National League and they will be playing the Milwaukee Brewers starting on Wednesday the 30th yeah the 30th they will be playing so uh, that's the number one seed. The only other Southern California team uh, out here was the San Diego Padres, who got the four seed. They'll be playing the St. Louis Cardinals. So the winner of that matchup will play the winner of the Dodgers Brewers matchup. Definitely a, a lot of eyes, a lot of lot of uh, eyes to be. Uh, we'll be watching those uh, p- playoff series as well as all the other ones. Um, uh, definitely some other ones of note is the Houston Astros did get in the playoffs. They are the sixth seed. They are playing the Houston or Houston, the uh, Minnesota Twins, and the other California team, the Oakland A's. They got in as the two seed. They will be playing the Chicago White Sox. So those are just some of the teams, some of the matchups you're going to see uh, these next few days. Really weird. These three game series, uh, these very quick playoff series. Who knows what can happen? Uh, but after that, they'll go into these uh, bubbles, and we'll talk more about that as it as it happens. Uh, but that was big news uh, over the weekend and, and into this week for sure. Also, the Los Angeles Lakers advanced to the NBA Finals. And then on Sunday, the Miami Heat followed uh, followed their lead, and they eliminated the Boston Celtics, and they are headed to the NBA Finals. So this weird NBA bubble uh, is, is officially uh, on the final series. The final few games are scheduled and ready to go. The Miami Heat and the Los Angeles Lakers. I don't know what they what they call it. What do you what would you say? The Ocean Series, the the uh the the uh, who knows the South Beach meets uh, California Beach. I don't know. I don't know what you call it, but interesting um, matchup for sure. That gets going Wednesday, so you're gonna have baseball playoffs and the NBA Finals going <laughs> this week. Uh, pretty cool stuff. Additionally, on Monday night tonight we have the uh, Stanley Cup Final Game Six. Tampa Bay Lightning lead three games to two over the Dallas Stars. If they force a game seven, I believe it will be Wednesday as well. So a lot of options if you're a sports fan, and if you're an LA sports fan, you could potentially have a game. Let's see, game one of the NBA Finals with the Dodgers with the Lakers, game one of the Dodgers 
first round opening wild card playoff game. And then also that night, a game seven of the NHL Stanley Cup. So I hope you guys got lots of TVs. Uh, if you're into all those things, it's hard to keep up. Uh, I'm going to record a few different things, I think. That's my plan. But anyway, just just one of a couple of really big storylines uh, here moving forward. And, and on top of all that stuff, uh, you got NFL and college football back uh, and, and going strong a few weeks in now. You saw a lot more teams over the weekend in college football start, such as the SEC it was cool seeing those teams out on the field. And uh, we're going to talk, I think, more about the Major League Baseball playoffs this week. The NBA Finals, we'll discuss that. The Stanley Cup Final, we will discuss those three sports throughout this week um, because they're they're all po- postseason, man. It's crazy. And, and postseason and championship uh, level play. So we'll get to a few of those things. Uh, we'll probably talk about some more than others, but uh, we'll see what kind of content we get based off of uh, when the game's tip off or first pitch or the puck drops. There's so many different things with the playoff sports going on right now. We've never seen anything like this. Uh, so anyway, we'll get to all that stuff later in the week as it, as it plays out. I do want to talk about a few football things from over the weekend. And first off, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, <laughs> we live in this crazy time we've been in, right? There were just nothing makes sense. Uh, everyone uh, talks about their feelings and, uh, I would say at times people ignore facts. I think there's this constant battle between truth and emotion and facts against feelings. Okay. I think fanatics, fans, fans of sports teams, they are quite, uh, passionate. We'll say, and they don't always look at truth. They care more about their emotions. Okay. They probably care. They, 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 uh, express how they feel more than they see facts. Okay. And so I want, I want to kind of just mention that right now is that, you know, facts are more important than feelings. Truth is way more important than your emotions. It's kind of the same thing there, but uh, the same, you know, way of saying it two different ways we'll say, but you know, you can be a passionate fan and just kind of see what you want to see, or you can look at it, look at the big picture. Let's take the Los Angeles Rams, for instance, on Sunday. They were down 28 to 3. They rallied, took the lead 30, 32 to 28, ended up losing the game. Thought they had the uh thought they had the stop on fourth down on a fourth down play, an incomplete pass, but a penalty flag came in late with like under 20 seconds left or something. So what type of person are you? Are you the type of person that looks there and goes, Oh, the the refs, they they screwed us. They up the old man, they you know, you see this every week from from any fan base. Any any NFL team thinks everyone's out to get get you. Uh, so this happened to the Rams this weekend. This penalty flag that was it was marginal, but if I'm being honest, you know, it wasn't a great. It wasn't uh, super correct, like under. But I could see why they threw the flag. Okay, so you can either look at facts or worry about your feelings. Well, I feel like like they like they got robbed. Or you can look at yourself. You can look at, no, you got down 28 to three. You spotted another team, 25 points. Then you gave up multiple uh, long third down plays. One being a third and 22, where you probably could have uh, sealed the game up. That's not a referee problem. That's a you problem. You know how many calls occur in a game? Not just officiating calls, play calls. Think of all the different things that happen in a game. 
And yeah, sometimes timing is terrible. <laughs> timing is bias. Uh, that a, a, a bad call or marginal or, or a call, at least in other people's eyes that they see as bad happens in the first quarter. That's not, not nearly the impact that a play with 20 seconds or 15 seconds has. All right. Everyone wants to, you know, the new Orleans States, they're still crying about a, a, a non-penalty from a few years ago. Dallas Cowboys, every, every, every Sunday, their fan base, Oh, the NFL's out to get us. It's, it's hilarious. It's, it's people don't look at facts. They just, Oh, this is how I feel. So I'm going to be mad and scream. Truth doesn't care about your emotions. They don't, it doesn't, you know what else? Los Angeles Rams. You also probably got an interception awarded to you that you shouldn't have had. All right, so I'm never going to be the guy that sits here at the end of a uh, game. Oh, the ref screwed. First of all, I'm a, I'm a, before I'm anything, I'm an official. I consider myself as someone who can look at sports uh, very impartial. And yes, I was a Rams fan before I was ever a referee. All right, but my heart, my head, everything is with the look from the officials, the officiating world. Do I have feelings? Yeah, some would say. Do I show emotion? Absolutely. But you know what uh, doesn't care about either of those? Truth or facts. It just don't care. I, I, I've taken this discussion to sports, but I'll tell you what, it, it's, <laughs> it's out in the uh, public in other areas of life as well. All you got to do is look around or, or turn the TV on or, or whatever. People get worked up and try to express their feelings, but you know, facts are stubborn things as I've said before. And we got to stop as a society trying to blame other people uh, for issues that actually we have a lot of responsibility for ourselves. Those are just some thoughts there. Uh, A couple quick things, quick hits here on the football weekend, Kansas state beating Oklahoma second year in a row, I believe. And, uh, you know, Oklahoma, their their initials are OU, right? I mean, they all they are all O. There is zero D in that in that uh, in that team, and that's university, and, and that goes for the Big Twelve in general. You know what? I have a real. You think of Texas. You think of the state of Texas as this like tough. Uh, hey man, everything's bigger in Texas. We well, you know what else? You know what's terrible in the state of Texas is defense. The entire Big 12, just they must be playing with 10 players on defense at all times or something. Texas barely survived. Texas Longhorns, that is, beating Texas Tech 63-56 to 56 in overtime. 56 all at the end of regulation. I've seen basketball games with lower scores than that. I know all the rules are, you know, slanted to offense now and this and that. Everything's spread out and go hurry and be fast. But my goodness, I know I know some tackling is outlawed these days. Well, you got to be a lot more technical with your form and everything. But it's, I mean, no defense anywhere. Every, the, the fantasy football is a big contributor to this. I love defense. I love playing defense. I love coaching defense. I love watching defenses. And apparently it's just not that all these score every, points, 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 points. No. This isn't flag football. It's tackle football. 
the violent game. And it, I, I just can't stand all these high scoring. Uh, this is nonsense. I understand teams get hot, put up some points, whatever. The game uh, Sunday night, the Saints and uh, Packers, 37-30. Okay, that's eh, pretty high scoring for an NFL game. But unbelievable. Te- and then Texas, that's my favorite part. University of Texas pretending they're back, quote unquote. Think think they're back. They're they're Alabama. They're they are LSU. No, you're not. You're very similar to USC. USC thinks they're they're someone. Uh, USC hasn't been relevant in years. Neither of you, Texas. So both of those programs. Wh- why don't you guys uh, buckle up a chin strap uh, and, and start playing some defense? Embarrassment in Oklahoma. I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you. Congrats on another Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. I don't know. I don't know how this guy Rattler's going to do. But that seems to be all you guys care about. I, I I am not certain, but I gotta check the laws in Oklahoma. I'm pretty certain tackling is is legal. You're allowed to tackle other football teams in the state of Oklahoma, and that goes for you too, Texas. Uh, anyway, and you know, you want to know some bad, let's, let's go to the NFL right now. You want to know some bad, bad football teams, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Cincinnati Bengals. They absolutely deserve each other. And you know what? They tied on Sunday in a long, boring game. I, I mean, the Bengals, I give a little excuse to you, rookie quarterback, you know, second year coach, the Eagles, you guys have no excuse. You guys absolutely deserve to tie each other. That was the biggest sister kisser game I've ever seen in my life. You, you guys are, br- I mean, that's just brutal. That sums up your season. And another, I've been hard on the NFL with a lot of their their uh, virtue signaling and all this other crap that, you know, the holding of hands, uh, making things, uh, changing the world by holding hands or whatever. Uh, but I will say this. The NFL, what, I hate soccer. And one reason is they have ties. Figure NFL, I don't care what you got to do. Have a field goal kicking contest at the end of the, I don't Stop having ties. Seems like every year there's at least one of these. No ties. You just wasted everyone's time. Millions of dollars spent. Probably countless injuries, this and that. And, and, and you still have a, a, a column, basically, in the win-loss. Oh, no, there's one more. It's a tie. The ultimate participation trophy. Figure it out, NFL. College has all these extra overtimes you can do. Basketball at all levels, there's there's overtime until you have a winner. Extra innings of baseball. My two least favorite words, extra innings. Oh, miserable. But you know what? You come out with a winner. Even soccer at some levels has a shootout. Hockey. NFL, stop having ties. Figure something out. Those two teams absolutely deserved each other. They, they, you just count them as both losses. I'd be fine with that. If you tie, all right, you go, both get losses, whatever. But a tie, what are we doing? It's 2020. You could, t- you could talk on, on your phone uh, over the, you know, do a video recording with someone across the world, but the NFL can't figure out how to have a tiebreaker. No wonder they have all these other issues. What a joke. Oh man. And speaking of jokes, the Atlanta Falcons absolutely collapsed one more time uh, with a huge lead in the fourth quarter over the Chicago bears who were so fed up with their offense that they decided to finally bench Mitch Trubisky. 
who's terrible and was drafted ahead of Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. Um, he's Nick full stepped in and like, he's done pretty much his whole career. He delivered three touchdown passes in the fourth quarter. The Falcons absolutely collapse again after being up. What was it? 16 points in the fourth quarter, I believe after last week, losing to the Dallas Cowboys when they led 20 to nothing or by 20 points, whatever it was. I I don't know how Dan Quinn has a job. I feel bad for him because he keeps having these terrible losses and collapses and, uh, it, it's not all on him. Ultimately, the head coach is responsible for all this, but it's it's not on all on Dan Quinn. People want to point the finger, but he's probably going to get fired. Maybe he's already been fired by the time this episode's out, but uh, that poor guy. The Super Bowl a couple years ago, 28-3 against the, the Patriots, and then back-to-back weeks of blowing uh, a 20-point and a 16-point lead late. I mean, the guy has just got to be losing his mind. So I feel bad for him and, and all Atlanta Falcon fans. Maybe their maybe their Braves will do something in the playoffs. We'll see. Uh, and lastly, the last thing I want to say about uh, what happened over the weekend, the uh, Los Angeles, what are they? Orange County Chargers, LA Chargers. Uh, what are they called these days? I don't even know. San Diego, uh, Costa Mesa Chargers. Maybe you do that. Uh, they had a, had a game going. They tried to run the old Boise State uh catch lateral play it was there the last play of the game it was there man against uh carolina it they drew it up great i think i heard after the game that yeah we've practiced that play for two years and haven't had a chance to run it and they threw the pass over the middle had a little guy crossing across i think austin eckler coming across they were going to lateral him the ball and he was going to walk in for a touchdown and uh he couldn't quite keep his hands on it so yeah, man, sometimes guys in life, you draw something up perfectly for the perfect situation, the perfect moment, and then you don't execute. It's crazy. It's just crazy. This game of life, and and I know you guys want to hear Brian Earls here soon, and I'm just rambling away into a microphone, but in, in moving forward with all these different sports subjects going on, especially football, I just had to get a bunch of things off my chest. So uh definitely wanted you guys to, uh, to uh, you know, bear with me <laughs> or not want you to, but I, you know, I appreciate you guys uh, bearing with me while I ramble is uh, what I should say, but I'm going to have a lot more sports topics here as the week goes on. And uh, that was just kind of a quick rundown of what occurred over the weekend and some, some thoughts and stuff. So let's get to the interview with Brian Earls. I know uh, he and his family and some of his friends are probably tuning in. Uh, looking forward to listening to Brian, not so much me. So let's get to our interview with Brian. Uh, I think you guys will really enjoy this. You, you loyal listeners, you guys who have heard a few different football officials on this show over the past couple of months. But I think uh, Brian, he has a unique perspective. Uh, give him a listen here. And uh, I, I think you guys will really enjoy this. It's a great way to kick off our week of shows here on the Get Home Safe podcast. So as always, we're going to take a quick breath, get a, catch our breath, if you will, take a quick break and then jump right into it with our interview with Brian Earls. Okay, joining us today is a very good friend of mine from the football officiating community, Brian Earls. Brian Earls is a proud member of the Foothill Citrus Football Officials Association. 
He is currently working college football games in the big sky. Well, I should say when they have a season, we're not sure when that's going to be, but he's had great success at all levels of high school, junior college, division three college football, and currently in division one double a also known as FCS. I couldn't be prouder of him and his career uh, after we started kind of working together at some lower level high school games and just really cool to see all the great work he has done. So we got a lot of football conversations today with Brian. Let's get right to it. Brian Earls, welcome to the program. Hey, Matt, how you doing? Thank you for having me. I'm uh, happy to be here. Oh, fantastic, dude. And, you know, we talked a little bit off the air about uh, kind of kind of some of our topics here. And I was thinking back to, man, when did we meet? I, I knew it was on a football field somewhere, uh, but I was a rather, I was a pretty new official and you were brand new. And yeah, you, I think you said we worked a, a JV game or a freshman game on a Saturday morning, maybe in, in uh, Glendora one day. Yeah, I think it was a freshman reserve game. And we went out there, three-man crew, it was me, you, and uh, Ruben Lopez. And uh, I remember the game going great. And uh, afterwards we went and got some pizza and some beer and, I saw uh, you were getting all the big games at the varsity level at the back jets position. And I was like, man, this guy, uh, he's like the same age as me. It's like, hey, man, he, he, he moved up the ranks fast. I was like, I need to start picking his brain to see what he was doing. So uh, I think I learned more in the, uh, the after party uh, at the pizza place drinking some beers with you than I did actually on the field that day. But uh, at that moment, I kind of realized, hey, I'm, this, I'm onto something. I'm, I really enjoy this officiating thing. Well, I, I do think, Brian, that especially in football, there's something to be said about, you know, having a post-game conversation. And yes, if we're honest, it's probably a, a lot easier to have a conversation when we have a, a cold drink or some, uh, some nice food in front of us. But you're kind of breaking down the game and things that happened in football. And it's just kind of the uh, nature of the beast, really. Uh, much like teams do, coaches do, looking at game film and kind of uh, reevaluating things. So I, I love that about football. I absolutely love it. Uh, sure, you, you, we call it a post-game, you know, gathering. But don't you think there's a lot to be said for, uh, we'll say, training, training purposes, and, and even you know, just just having a, a beverage and and chatting together. I think really goes a long way, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, you know, learning those lessons that you make. Nobody has a perfect game, so you kind of always critiquing yourself, and then sometimes mm-hmm. you need the the critique of others, and uh, you kind of have to have thick skin in this business because someone's always telling you you need to do something differently or something better. And then uh, you know, especially after a varsity uh, varsity night Friday night, you go to the, and there's a bunch of guys there, and you're kind of hearing all their good plays and, and bad plays and you're kind of just kind of learning from other people's mistakes and then also just the camaraderie of you know you're kind of with your friends now and then the next time you take the field you know they're not just your officiating partner they're you're out there working with your friends so that makes it that much more enjoyable yeah you know we always kind of talk about getting snaps as officials hey you need to see live snaps you know, a snap is a snap is a snap and, and seeing plays. Well, when you go to socialize with other guys after a Friday night, there's probably been 15 or even 20 games in the area. And then when you hear about plays from all those different games and how Cruz handled it well, how Cruz handled it bad. Uh, also, to me, those are those are very valuable snaps as well as on field stuff, uh, again, to learn what to to better officiate and also maybe some things that uh, we probably shouldn't have done that as well. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you were talking about getting snaps and it just kind of helps slow things down for you with your eyes. So you could kind of just, you felt like you've seen that play before and it's not like your first time. And 
And I like to go through different scenarios in my head. Like as I'm driving to the game, I try to, they call them the casebook plays. It's like those plays that happen like once in a career. And I try to think of those out of the box scenarios to try to not get caught by surprise. But when you hear those other guys talking about weird plays that happen in their game, you kind of try to just register that in your brain and say, okay, I, what would I do if that happened in my, in my game? So it looks like I've done it before, but a lot of times it's the first time you've ever seen something in your career and you maybe read it in a book, but now it's applying it on the field and acting like you know what you're doing. So sometimes it's just like slow down. You don't want to go too fast, but uh, it's easier said than done because in the moment, you know, you're, you're right in the action, your heart's pounding. It's like, okay, slow down and try to process all this information you've been reading for years. So it's, it's nice to hear it from other people and then just kind of try to remember it that way more than just like reading it in a book. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And Brian, you've had a great, a great career. Uh, you're, you're just getting started, in my opinion. Uh, this would have been your 12th season upcoming here. Uh, and, and there's a lot to talk about in the different, you know, uh, big moments in your officiating career, which we'll get to. Uh, they included a, a, a national championship game at the college level. They include working uh, a big time high school football final between Bosco and modern day. I mean, all kinds of good stuff. But let's first go back to your early days of football, you went to Chino high school and people don't realize maybe now that at one time Chino was a powerhouse. They were one of the best football programs in the area, uh, right up there with Upland diamond bar used to be really good as well. Uh, so what can you talk to me about in kind of the history of, of Chino football and kind of your experiences there when you were a player? Um, well, I grew up in Chino, born and raised. So uh, there's two high schools in the city of Chino. There was Chino and then there was Don Lugo. Don Lugo was good in other sports, but not really football at the time. Um, just based off where I lived, I was going to go to Chino High School. And, uh, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, playing football and baseball. And, and uh, I was probably better at baseball, but Chino really was known for their baseball program. I mean, we had some good players, but we weren't uh, like a powerhouse, as you described, our, our uh, football program. Um, you know, I started as a freshman and played my way all worked my way all the way up and, uh, um, you know, they kind of ran it like a college program. We had a really good coaching staff. A lot of former uh, head coaches were on the staff, but, uh, he, uh, John Munger, who was our head coach and, uh, he, he had a no cut policy and we would have a, on our varsity team, we would have a hundred guys plus cause he wouldn't cut anybody, but we would, uh, um, the memories I have were are very fond. Um, a lot of good friends I still talk to the, to this day. But um, you know, it was just uh, you know tough practices. It kind of like you'd see in the movies. They would kick our butt in practice, but it just made us tougher for the games. And then it was kind of just a, a mentality that we were going to go out and win every game. Like uh, my junior year, we uh, we only had one loss. It was in the championship game to Upland. And then my senior year, we were undefeated. And then we lost the final game uh, to Mission Viejo at Angel Stadium. So. We had some really good successful uh, seasons, um, played with some really good players. I got to play with uh, Cedric Ellis, who went on to be a, a two-time All-American at USC, and uh, he was uh, drafted seventh overall by the New Orleans Saints, and he uh, was started for a, their uh, one Super Bowl uh, win that they had. So he played right next to me on the defensive line. I was a defensive end primarily, played a little bit of offensive guard, but I liked the defensive side, uh, just the physical nature of it. And, and I liked, uh, you know, hitting the, hit, uh, giving the hits versus receiving them. But, uh, you know, all the memories were fun. Obviously, we would like to have won that uh, 
final game, but uh, that's the beauty of sports. You know, you get to, you know, if it ain't your day that day, then it's, uh, you're not going to come out with a W, but uh, some good life lessons, you know, kind of be able to handle defeat and then, but uh, just do the, the, the life lessons you learn from sports is a beautiful thing as far as, you know, you know, teammates and communication and just all kind of working for that common goal. But uh, it was a great experience looking back on them. Yeah, that's outstanding stuff. And I love the, you know, the, the no cut policy, a hundred guys, a hundred plus guys. That's awesome. I mean, and guys, obviously being on the team, they, they knew they weren't going to play with that many people, but was it just something that was a fun thing to be a part of that you kind of had to be part of this program to, you know, be on the team and everything? It was, he, he made everybody feel like they're part of the, uh, part of the program. And so there was like, you know, when you have that many guys, you have more than third or four, you like have four <laughs> stringers and stuff. So they were, you know, some guys were on the scout team. And so they were getting, uh, you know, beat up in practice against the starters. But uh, the beauty of it was we were beating people up by so bad, especially like during league play and other games, we would be up by, uh, you know, 30, 40 points. And our coach was very, uh, he was never run up the score. He'd pull out all the starters. He'd be putting in the second and third stringers, you know, like end of the third quarter. So he was giving everyone playing time. So I think that kind of helped keep uh, people from quitting because, you know, they would get in the game in the fourth quarter. So everybody would get some playing time. Yes, sir. Well, Brian, it's, it's so funny how small the world can be. And I don't know if I've told you this. I think I've told you this before, but that, that championship game you, uh, you played in at Citrus College in 2000, uh, I actually, my friend and I, Mark uh, Carson, we'd always go to CIF championship games. And I think we went to the game at Mount Sac that night. But uh, you guys started 30 minutes later, as I think what happened. But anyway, we raced over to Citrus, and I saw some of the fourth quarter of that game uh, that you guys lost to Upland. Uh, it was very cool. But you, and we had never met, obviously, and this was you know, now 20 years ago. Uh, it's just funny that I was there when you were playing a game, didn't know you. And you know who else was there that I didn't know at the time? My girlfriend, Valerie Burns, was in the Upland band that night. So there I am at Citrus College watching a game meaning not a meaning it's a game that i don't know anybody really i'm just watching a championship game and little did i know that one of my good friends brian earls was playing and then my future girlfriend was in the band so just kind of weird stuff that is funny <laughs> oh boy well well brian uh what a great uh, time i'm sure playing football some great memories uh especially playing at angel stadium uh in the, in the final two uh but eventually, you know, our careers all end and it's tough to kind of to swallow that pill sometimes. But uh, what what got you involved in football officiating? I think you said you were 25 when you got started. So you had some years off between high school and starting up football. Was there just an itch to get back on a football field or what was kind of the, the light bulb moment for you? You're correct. I started when I was 25 and my last game I was played was 17 and, and I never had one um idea that I would be a football official during that span and I, I would say the light bulb moment was I was you know sitting on my couch I think I was by myself that day actually watching I forget if it was college or NFL and uh, I just think like man I was uh, I think this would be I think that'd be something really fun to do um and I think I'd be really good at it and so I just kind of for a few Saturdays I said hey I'm gonna I'm gonna look into this and then I uh, just, you know, got hopped on the internet and I found Foothill Citrus and uh, found a phone number and I called uh, and it was Tracy McFate and he said, hey, come on down. We're having a meeting and uh, the rest is history. So I didn't have my dad that uh, was doing it that got me in. I didn't have a friend. I, I basically just kind of stumbled upon it myself. And um, it kind of makes it that much more gratifying that I've kind of 
have the success I've had, um, kind of created my own path. I didn't have, not that anybody, uh, for those other guys, uh, it was handed to them, but I kind of had to create my own name, I should say. You know what? Uh, one of the things I appreciate about your officiating start and your journey and everything is it's very similar to mine. I, I didn't have any of those friends or relatives really to kind of push me to get into it. It was all me. Uh, I started around the same time, 23, maybe 24, somewhere in there. And yeah, it was just, Hey, I, I think I want to do this. I think I want to learn about it. And uh, I dove all, I dove in. I remember saying to myself, I'm going all in on this, whatever it takes, I'm going to learn and uh, just kind of develop. Uh, but, but what was that first time you showed up to a meeting? Like, I mean, you, you think, I, I thought I knew what I was getting into. It turns out I had no idea uh, when I stepped into that room and realized all the experience, all the stories, uh, just all the great guys really in the Foothill Citrus unit. You know, I remember that day, I was, I think it was at West Covina NPR, and uh, I was driving down there, and I hit traffic, and I think I got, went the wrong way, and I, I kind of almost had a panic feeling. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to get cut before I even get there. I'm going to show up late, and everyone's <laughs> going to be looking like, who's this guy coming in late? And, uh, you know, I think I ended up getting there on time, but it was cutting it close, and then when I got there, it was just everyone was like 150, 200 guys, everyone just standing around talking. I remember it was really loud. I was like, oh, I could have late. Nobody would even have noticed that the meeting didn't start on time. But it was kind of overwhelming at first. It's like everybody seemed to know each other. And I came and didn't know a single person. So I was just kind of, you know, standing on the edge waiting for the meeting to start. And, uh, you know, once we started talking football, I'm like, okay, this sounds interesting. And uh, But that first meeting, I remember it was a lot of, you know, everybody seemed to be older than me. Because at the time I was 25, everybody was probably you know, in the 40s or 50s, and everybody knew each other except me. So that it kind of throws you out of your comfort zone. But you know, sometimes that's a good thing in life. Oh, very much so. I mean, as an official, you better get used to being a little uncomfortable as well. But you know, my perception of officials were, were kind of, you know, I had played and, and they were just, oh, they're just old guys, I don't know what they're doing. And, and so you show up and you realize, oh, there's a lot of, uh, we'll say talent here as far as guys who were top college football officials who were kind of educating the high school guys. Uh, there's plenty of, uh, we'll say fourth string guys <laughs> as well, but uh, plenty of stars and much like your coach in high school. Yeah. They're, they're not cutting anybody. They don't cut anyone. Uh, Cause honestly we need bodies at all times. We need more and more officials. Even more so now there's a shortage, but back then there was a little bit of a wait. You didn't get varsity games your first year. So we were pretty well staffed, but you're right. There's, there's always a need for lower level officials. So uh, yeah, if you could pretty much walk and you, you, you're going to get a freshman game. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a good way to say it. Oh boy. Good stuff. Uh, yeah. You're going to get uh, snaps right away thrown into the fire. I remember my first game and being so excited uh, to, to get out there and work. And one thing I think people don't realize today because there's such a shortage is that when you're starting out you need to go out and volunteer to be that extra official that free that free uh free man that fourth guy really because they do three three man mechanics in high school at foothill citrus you need to volunteer your time to get those snaps and so do you remember kind of giving of yourself and and kind of spending uh, time working for free yeah, my first year, I, only, I got two paid lower-level games, and then I worked another game uh, non-paid, like you said, doing the fourth man. And um, so, yeah, that first year, I basically broke even or, or took a loss by the time you bought all your gear. Uh, <laughs> guys coming in nowadays are, you know, getting a full lower-level schedule. They're getting some varsity games. So, I mean, they're making some money. 
But yeah, that first year, it wasn't about the money. It was just getting the practice and learning a lot in the meetings. Like we had some uh, like on-field training uh, out at West Covina High School with the, 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 the veteran officials standing right behind you, kind of critiquing you. And, <laughs> but yeah, that first year, it's like, you know, it's like, uh, for, like really first couple of years, it's just it's just learning being a sponge and you're hearing all these different uh, people telling you different things. And, uh, you know, sometimes you hear conflicting things. One guy tells you to do it one way. Another guy tells you to do it another. And I learned real early. It's like, yeah, don't be the, the yeah, but guy. So anytime someone gives you some feedback, you just, you know, listen and you tell them thank you. And in the back of your mind, you're like, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but you're not going to tell him that because he's trying to help you. So you kind of just take it with, uh, for what it is. And you kind of take all this information from all these different people and kind of, you know, form your own, uh, what style of officiating. So that's the, the beauty of it. Uh, we all do things pretty similarly, but everybody kind of has their own little style. So you kind of take all that information and create your own way of doing it, which is cool. I think there's some great points there. I mean, you played high school football, you had multiple coaches, you know that you take some feedback, some criticism different from maybe the head coach or the coordinators than you do from a position coach or something, even though, you know, you're not going to talk back. Uh, let me ask you this, Brian, what position or positions did you play in football? Uh, you know, I was kind of a thicker kid. So I was on the line. I played uh, offensive line, defensive line. My, my last year, so I was primarily a, a defensive end and uh, played a little offensive guard. But uh, I was kind of an undersized offensive guard, you would say. I, they kind of like to get me on the edge, like pull almost like a, a second fullback. Um, mm -hmm. But on the end, I was kind of more of like an outside rush end, like an outside linebacker, I guess you could say. Okay, so so the reason I ask is because, you know, being a lineman, being in the middle of everything like that, uh, then you go to kind of the outside looking in as an official. So what were some of the kind of the differences really in maybe your mindset as being an official on the outside kind of looking inside rather than being that, that lineman in the middle of everything from the inside out? It's funny you ask that. When I first started, obviously you learn, uh, when I first started officiating, you start on the line of scrimmage because that's just where they want to teach you how to work the chains and, and other things. And uh, I always thought I would want it to be an umpire. I, to me, at first, I thought, man, I'd be the cool position. You're right in the middle of all the action. And I was like, man, that seems like it'd be sweet. And that's like one of the few, the position I've worked the least now. And uh, um, I made my transition to back judge, which I consider my primary position. I think it was just because of a, a need at that position. A lot of the, uh, uh, you know, back, the good back judges in our high school unit had either uh, retired or moved to referee. And there was, I think, a need at back judge. And uh, Tracy McFate, our assigner at the time, kind of just gave me a full back judge schedule. Uh, I believe it was my third year. And um, I just kind of ran with it. And that kind of was a perspective that I wasn't used to. Like you said, being a lineman, you're kind of right, you know, with all the big uglies in there in the trenches. And now as a back judge, I'm kind of behind the safeties, actually more doing the passing game, which as a football player, I, I never did. So it's, it is a cool experience. I really love back judge for a couple of reasons. One, you're, you're in the middle of the field. You're kind of on an island. So uh, you're kind of away from the coaches and stuff. So the communication with them is, is limited. Um, you have, you know, you can hear them yelling at you and stuff. Cause you know, obviously you throw a flag, one side loves you, the other side hates you. And then the next play it's the opposite, but you know, they're, they could be yelling at you, but 
you could have select if you're in the middle of the field i could just ignore them when you're on the sideline and they're right next to you you really can't ignore them you have to use your people skills and kind of diffuse the situation but it really is a cool uh, position um you know i tell young officials when they get put at back judge they say hey just go into it with an open mind uh you know we need back judges right now maybe down the line if you want to switch to another position uh you can have that option but right now this is where we need you so you know go in and just make the most of it and uh so that's kind of what i did i just dove in and tried to try to learn as much as about the position as I could. And it seems like the back judge gets all the big plays coming out of the big, long pass. You know, you get the pass interference, and then you obviously you're primary on punt plays where that seems where all the crazy stuff happens. So, uh, you know, back judge is basically the referee on the defensive side of the ball. You kind of, and especially in a seven-man crew, you're kind of like the center fielder with a lot of responsibilities. But uh, I love that, 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 that challenge that it, uh, that it brings. Well, we'll definitely talk some more on this as we talk about your college football, excuse me, experiences. But, you know, I think as an official, if you, if you want to promote, you want to, to do other things, uh, you need to be willing to work a position. If a signer or someone says, Hey, can you work back judge? Well, yes, I can. Absolutely. You know, can you work umpire? Yes, I can. Whatever the case is. Uh, And whether you have experience or not, you got to be willing to adapt and learn and, and I've always said, be valuable, be versatile. I mean, if you're just a guy who can umpire or just a guy who can only do the line of scrimmage, you know, to me, that, that's not as fun because you, you got to be willing to adapt. And also the beauty of football is every position out there is different. And I think you do, your, you do a better job if you understand what your partner across the field has to do, or you depend on other positions. And I think you only can truly appreciate that if you've worked multiple positions, right? I agree 100%. Yep. You need to be an expert on your primary position, but then you need to be really good at the, the other positions too. For one if uh, reason, if, if that official went down with an injury, well, as a back judge, I'm the first guy that's going to be moving positions. So that has happened where a guy goes down with a hamstring pull or something and now I have to go work his position in a six-man mechanic but but to your point yes I kind of know where he's looking and it's kind of a trust factor where I'm not trying to do everyone's job because then I'm going to miss something right in front of me so you kind of stay in your primary primary area of the field in trust that your partner is going to pick you up so even if it can be to right to your side it's just trust him to know that he's going to have your back and meet and take that uh, that block for example or that cheap shot so it's kind of a kind of know where everyone's looking because uh, th- there's 22 players on the field and then there's either five or seven of us depending on what level it is and so there's way more players than officials so you kind of have to stay in your area because there's, otherwise you're going to miss something well brian outside of you know some big games you worked as far as you know you worked the cia final a couple of them i believe and, you know, outside of those, especially kind of starting out early on in your officiating career, what was uh, maybe a moment or two, maybe a couple of, of just like, I don't know, wow, wow moments or like uh, just kind of memories you have from, from your early days, not just your first year, but your first couple of years where you kind of went, oh, man, this is, this is either a lot of fun or, oh, man, I, I, this is a challenge or, ooh, you know, I got a lot to learn. Whatever. I'll, I'll leave it open to you. Um. I'm gonna, one of my first memories was actually uh, was working some, at that game with you. Actually, Matt, that you say that because um, you were getting you were probably the top ranked back judge in our unit at that time, or one of them. And you seem to be getting all the big games. And I'm like a <laughs> first second year guy, and I'm like, God, this guy's my same age. It's like, how does he get these games so fast? Because everyone else in the unit's like in their 40s, and 
And I was like, wow, I was like, he's doing something right. So I was trying to like emulate you because you were getting the Ranch Cook Among Upland game. I was like, I want to get that game. And then, uh, you know, you kind of, the way you had it, you switched the line of scrimmage and referee. And like I said, a couple of the other guys moved and I ended up getting that, that shot uh, sooner than I expected on some of those bigger varsity games. Uh, you know, you always remember your first varsity game. I was out at Roland High School. That was a really cool moment with uh, Jim Johnson who was my referee. So you always remember your, your first varsity game. And that's like my Super Bowl. And, you know, Roland's not a powerhouse, but, the you know, that stands were about half full, but it seemed like a ton of people. And then, and then the pressure and the nerves. And that was really a cool experience just to, because was I ready at that moment? Probably not. But, you know, you kind of act like you are and, and kind of learn as you go. And, uh, uh, you know, I remember my first JC game. I remember that. Um, you know, uh, I remember the first time I got uh, a semifinal. Uh, it was a modern day versus a Corona Centennial at uh, the Santa Ana Bowl. And when I got that assignment, I almost like, you know, broke down in tears. It's like I feel like I finally made it because I saw that game on the computer before I even worked it. And I was just like, holy cow, I got this game. And I wasn't expecting that at all. And then just the fact that uh, Tracy had enough confidence to put me in that game. And then it's like, okay, well, now I got to go out there and make them proud. And uh, luckily that game went well. I mean, most of the games do. Um, and I don't mind not trying to sound uh, conceited by saying that. It just seems like the combination of preparation and uh, hard work and, and maybe a little luck. And not a lot of bad things seem to happen in the games that I work. And knock on wood that there's not one right around the corner because this game will humble you quickly. But um, that, that, that getting that assignment on the computer and then actually the week later, I got my first uh, FCS game. Uh, my Division three supervisor gave me a uh, a USD game, uh, which uh, University of San Diego. And so I kind of got those two big games within like a, a week or two span. So that was a pretty uh, neat time in my life. You know, it, it's interesting that the, the good moments kind of come in bunches. Uh, you haven't had many bad moments, but, but those kind of come in small bunches too. But yeah, your, your finals, uh, junior college games, the division one double, I mean, you get your success spreads and it's really cool to see that um and, and brian you've you've far exceeded my football officiating career but i can speak also a little bit from uh, the few years i had a kind of a good run going that yeah it's that way and and you said a couple things there that i really agree with that preparation hard work you know you do need a little luck here maybe some someone else gets a game that you would have had and maybe a college game and you get you fill in or whatever but ultimately it is hard work i mean the assigners are not just going to throw a guy like you out there uh, just, just because, you know, um, uh, whether you're ready or not, I think that's a good, uh, good lesson, maybe a title of this whole conversation, ready or not. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's very fitting. Yeah. You need to be ready for that call because you don't know when it's going to come. And, and um, a lot of guys, I think there's the envy like the, you know, cause we're all friends, but we're all competing for that. There's very few playoff games and, you know, you got to be happy for uh, your buddy when he gets that game and you didn't, and you kind of hope he does the same. But, uh, you know, you need to be ready for that call because uh, you can uh, whine about not getting that assignment. But when, when, when that call does come, it's like, are you going to make the most of that opportunity? Because if you go out there and are not ready, well, that can set you back a few years. So it's like you don't know when it's going to come, but when it, when it does, you got to seize the moment because those, uh, those calls are rare. And it's like, well, if, if you're trying to progress and move up the officiating ranks, it's like you don't have a lot of time to, to screw up because that will set you backwards and kind of not maybe tarnish your name. But it could set you back a few seasons because, you know, your assigner probably went 
put you in the next big game because you might have doubts now of where you're at mentally in your because it's a lot about mental toughness it could be you kind of have to tune out your your daily life like you know you have problems with at home or you're having a hard time with your job it's like when you're on the football field that's the only thing you should be thinking about and it's uh it's easier said than done i find myself daydreaming at times about where we're going after the game or what's going on you know so it's, you have to you have to bring it back in quickly because um that next play is coming right at you at least that's the mentality you have to have that every play could possibly be a, a casebook style player you know on a kickoff you need to be anticipating the onside kick and you got to be anticipating those those difficult things because that's when they're going to catch you by surprise and, and if you're daydreaming that's when you you're like, oh, crap, what did I just see? And everybody's looking at you to make a call and you're guessing. So you've got to really be locked in on, on the moment. And that's kind of one of the, the things I love about officiating the most is that just that, that mental energy and that, that strive for perfection on something that's really difficult to do. And, and uh, it's funny how the media, especially at the NFL or the Division One level, where there's so many cameras in every different angle, and they kind of could zoom in and see, and they kind of make the official look like he missed it. It's like these officials at this level are like the best in the world, and then they make us, they make them them look out like they're idiots. It's like no, these are the best of the business doing something that's very difficult to do, and they're just getting so scrutinized and like an HD camera zoomed in, and they just expect you to see it full time. And so I, I do like that challenge. Like I said earlier, you got to have thick skin because, you know, you're going to get critiqued. But I, 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 that's one of the things I love most about a fishing, I, I would say, is that uh, that strive for perfection of doing something that's so difficult. And, and you're never going to have that perfect game. But, you know, you could have a great game. So that's, that, that is just the goal at the end of the day. Oh man, amen to that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Media stuff drives me crazy. Um, anyway, well, you talk about the mental thing right there, mentally, you know, just locked in, focused. Do you find it more difficult for, say, okay, the big games, it's hard not to, I mean, it's hard not to know what's going on around you, your focus, but don't you think, Brian, it's a little more difficult to focus at times when there's, okay, there's 10 people in the stands, it's two bad football teams, but like you said, you can get bit real quick or humbled real quick if you're not focused. So aren't, you, aren't those kind of more of the games that are more difficult to focus on? Yep. 100%. So it's like, you know, you get a lower level uh, game that's, you know, you get a couple big games in a row and then you get a game that's just a lower division game. And, you know, it doesn't bring the same buzz like you're, when you're driving to the field, you know, you don't have the same excitement. And, uh, but, you know, for those kids, they deserve our best efforts because they have been putting in the time and those parents deserve our best efforts because, you know, it's important to them. And so I kind of made it a habit of me to like, you know, um, especially before the game, you know, we always have the national anthem. Uh, you know, I'm a man of faith. I kind of do, do a quick prayer, you know, just to thank him for this opportunity. And uh, But uh, I kind of make a challenge to myself to say, hey, to have the best game of your career today. And I, I always try to set that standard. Going into that game, I'm going to try to have the best game of my career and just every every game do that and just try to start the game with just that, that um, super intense focus and uh, – I never make it a full game without thinking about something else, but I try to see how long I could go where I'm not, uh, you know, drifting off, but uh, you know, it is hard in those lower levels and uh, you know, we're not being scrutinized as much at, the, at that lower level, but uh, I try to just have that mentality that, uh, you know, these, these are valuable snaps, like you said, and it's just making me better and something can happen in that game. That'll prepare me for 
uh, a bigger opportunity on a bigger stage where that play happens again. And it's like, okay, I've been here before. I've seen this. And so uh, I think you just need to have that mentality that uh, the game is important to the, the players and the parents, but then also it, these are valuable uh, reps that you're getting that could help you later in your career. Oh, everything's valuable. Absolutely. Because you're, you're going to see the weird things in lower level games that the casebook plays, the plays that, don't happen, but once out of, uh, you know, a thousand snaps at, at higher levels, but seeing it maybe a few times, you know, the snap over the punter's head or the ball that rolls out of bounds and is, t- you know, all kinds of weird things that uh, I think are valuable really from lower level games. And you're hundred percent on that, that, that it does demand our, our best effort at all times. Uh, that said, you said you worked Corona Centennial, you worked a, a final between Bosco and modern day at, at the Anaheim stadium. And, there is a next level, right, of football, of high school football of, uh, players and coach. I mean, you can see a huge difference when just in high school, when you go from, okay, this is varsity to, oh, man, okay, these are the top programs, at least in California. It's, it's incredible how the talent of SoCal uh, football is, especially at the, the modern day level where they're, they're giving out scholarships and just bringing all the studs in from all around uh, modern day has been on a nice little run. I think your audience all knows that I, the game I did, they had JT Daniels who was setting all these records. He was like the top recruit and, uh, he kind of struggled at SC and, uh, I forget, I don't even know where he transferred to, but the, I think there was like 20 or 30 division one athletes on the field that day. The linemen were, were bigger than some of the, um, division three linemen. I work, uh, the, the, the Amon Ross state Brown with USC, you know, they had some, uh, some stud players and then Bosco, same thing. They just, their linemen are huge. That's their the skill position players are, you know, possible future NFL players. Uh, the, the quarterback uh, that just went to Clemson, he was a sophomore that year starting for Bosco as a sophomore. He's like six, five, and that's a cannon of an arm. So yeah, there's a, uh, possibly some future NFL Hall of Famers. It just seemed that that caliber and then just the intensity on the coaching on the sideline. And then it, and obviously they bring a huge uh, following with their fans. It's, it's kind of feels like you would expect uh, football to be in like uh, high school football to be in like Texas. It's just like the whole town shuts down. It's just to compare that to even like you were saying Chino or uh, Upland, some of the other good programs that it, it's, it's a step above that. It's just, they almost run it like a college program and, um, they don't just select any officials for those games because there's so much riding on it because the winner of that game is basically winning the, the national championship that year because they were one and two in the country. And uh, so it's cool to be a part of those experiences, but it, you, you kind of do have to step back for a second and say, God, is this a high school game? Because these kids didn't look like I looked like when I was in high school. They're like full-grown men out there, you know, running fast and hitting hard. And it's a, it's a fun uh, style of football to officiate, that's for sure. Oh man, absolutely. I think high school football is the most fun officiating uh, out there. I mean, I, I know higher level stuff is, is great and the money's better. And, but as far as fun, overall fun, I think uh, I, I at least enjoyed high school football because you still see yourself at times as that high school football player, the best years of your life, at least for me, it was playing high school football. It was just a blast. Uh, well, well, Brian, let's talk a little bit about college football. And you talk about a step up, a, a next level type thing. I mean, I was shocked when I worked my first junior college football game. I, I just figured, oh, this will be like much better high school guys. But no, for me, I was like, oh, this is like 
big time. These these are some Division One athletes out here. Do you do you remember your first junior college game uh, and kind of going and, and seeing a whole nother level of football? And I know there's not many people in the stands, but just the product itself on the field at junior college in Southern California has got to be just eye popping, doesn't it? Yes, it's it's similar to how we were saying with the modern day Fosco, the level of talent. And actually, I was doing JC before I got that high school final. So that was probably my first experience of that different level of uh, speed and size. And, uh, you know, the offenses are a lot more advanced. You know, you're getting the hurry up and uh, the intensity of the coaches now. They're not like just PE teachers and coaching for a couple thousand dollars stipend. Like a lot of the coaches, that's their uh, their career, you know, and it's a performance business. They got to they gotta win or they're going to be finding out. They're going to be moving their family to another, you know, another city or um, – you know, the JC level, the fans really aren't overwhelming. It's not like the fans, the stands are going to be uh, full. So you kind of don't have to worry about that distraction. But the the speed and the intensity on the field is, uh, it's a lot at first, you know. it's uh, You can't really prepare for that because you go out and you work a few scrimmages. And scrimmages quite aren't the same. And then once you once you get that first game, it's like, wow, this is fast. And you just try to, like, stay out of the way. It's like, keep the whistle out of my mouth. It's like, don't make any stupid mistakes because – you know, it's your first time doing the college level and it's like, it's a lot to take in, but then, you know, you do a game or two and it slows down. And then uh, once you kind of start, stop being uh, nervous, it's kind of like, wow, this is fun. And, and it, you look, start looking forward to that. Cause it is really a, it's a, an intense, fast, really competitive football. Uh, most of the schools are pretty evenly matched. Um, you know, you get a lot of, uh, you, you know, it's 18, 19, 20 year old kids and uh, a lot of them had a division one talent but the, a lot of them have let's say character issues especially it seems like uh the linemen or the receivers and stuff they're kind of always jawing at each other so now you're kind of using your people skills to break it up without trying to throw a flag and without that's distracting you know let's say you have a corner and a receiver that are constantly going after at each play verbally and so you know you're trying to break that up and diffuse that situation but then before the next snap you have to get you know, locked into what's the down and the distance and all your other pre-snap routine, but you're getting distracted by these guys that won't stop talking crap to each other. So there's, there's definitely challenges as far as your communication skills. Uh, I think it kind of helps being a former player because you kind of know the lingo and you kind of, it's, it's hard to describe if you've never been in the middle of two alpha males, you're trying to like be the, you know, the, the bouncer breaking up a little, like a little skirmish, but it's like, now you go back to, you need to go back two seconds later. I got to go back to officiating. So you're, you're getting stressed mentally because there's so many things happening in a short amount of time. And then you got a coach yelling at you. And so all these things, it's, it's a, it's a unique challenge. It's what, it's one of the things that I, I love about it. I think some people would, would hate that pressure, but it's, I don't know if for some reason to me, I think it's like the coolest job in the world. Oh, it's, it's so much fun. I, I, I do miss it at times. And yeah, you know, as far as high school and college kids, sure, it might be only a one-year difference or a two-year difference, but man, in college, you're dealing with men, grown men, and that is a huge difference, you know, breaking up, uh, getting in between sometimes, you know, we're not as big as those players are, uh, so you got to use your voice, you got to use whatever you can, uh, definitely some challenges in, in college football. Well, well, Brian, as far as your, your progress through college football, you, you eventually got hired by the SCIAC, the Division Three conference out in uh, Southern California. And, you know, the level of play is definitely not what it is in 
junior college, community college football. But as far as the athletes and everything, the level of plays is not bad, you know, strategy and everything, schematics. But uh, it is definitely a, little, a less of a athleticism type of thing. But the demands of the SkyAC really with the off the field, the videos, the training, I mean, was that kind of eye-opening to you as an official kind of that you're being held now that you're in NCAA, you're being held to a higher standard? You know, it wasn't too eye-opening. They do run it like a Division One program um, about the amount of accountability. You were talking about the level of play. I would definitely say that the speed is, is slower than the junior college level. The players are really smart kids. It's an academic conference. There's no athletic scholarships, but the, all the kids are very intelligent, and they seem to have really good technique. Uh, there's a lot less uh, dead ball um, stuff, a lot less trash talk, it seems. Um, so it's actually an easier brand of football to officiate. There's less fouls. Uh, you know, there's some games you might only have like six or eight fouls, where in a junior college game you could have, you know, up in the 30s or 40s <laughs> amount of fouls. But, uh, you know, our supervisor, Vern Sparling, who's uh, been very good to me, I actually was lucky enough to uh, – he came from our uh, high school association and uh, – I got to work a couple uh, lower level and varsity games with him. I, I actually worked a, a playoff game with, uh, with you were on that crew, Matt, I remember. And uh, I think Vern saw some things in me that between those games and uh, I got lucky and he, uh, there was a couple of back judge openings and I got thrown right onto a crew, which doesn't usually happen. Usually you have to kind of uh, develop mental role where you get a couple of games. Let's see how he does. But because of the need at the position, I just happened to have known uh, the supervisor. He gave me that, that opportunity uh, what, what I thought was really cool is the, the amount of uh, Division I uh, mentors he brings in, position supervisors. They're all Pac-12 guys, guys that have worked uh, uh, national championships at the Division I level, and uh, now they're the ones instructing us, and we're sending them plays, and they're giving us their feedback, and they're telling us their mechanics. And they almost become like uh, – they're like your position coach, but kind of like a friend. Like, here's my cell phone. If you have any questions, call me. And so if you take them up on that, you could kind of pick their brain and – you know, why not learn it from the best? So, but uh, they do um, every place, every, you know, every game film, every uh, foul report's getting graded uh, by our uh, video evaluator and then followed by the supervisor. And so you got to, like I said, you got to have thick skin because they're picking you apart. And it's like every call or non-call is getting graded. And uh, some people, it's, it, it is more intense as far as that goes than the junior college level. But my goal is to work my way up to, uh, you know, you know, high level division one, like PAC 12 or big 12. And that's what they do at that level. So in that regard, it's preparing me for those, those challenges of really getting, you know, micromanaged in a sense where if they did that in your, in your day job, you'd be like, Hey man, back off You're you're all over me. But fish as a football official, it's kind of what you sign, sign up for. They're really picking you apart and it's really just to make you better. So once you kind of understand that, that they're not doing it because they don't like you, it's just, they're, 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 they're kind of almost, it's trickling down from the NFL level. It's just kind of, and you wouldn't think that division three football is held to that standard, but you know, our video um, is not that good a quality is at that higher level. So you kind of have to officiate based off of your video. So it's amazing as early official, you know, you see a, a tug of a receiver and you're like, Oh, that's pass interference. And you throw your flag and then you see the film and then that tug doesn't show up. So now it's like, okay, I got to have a, a higher threshold of what it was a foul. Like it's got to really turn the receiver shoulders or it's got to like pull him where he takes a whole step away. So you start 
thinking like, okay, that's a foul probably at the NFL level, but my film, it's not going to show up. So I'm going to keep the flag in my pocket. And then you kind of, so it, it's, uh, we say officiate to your film quality and you know, certain schools have crappier cameras or <laughs> crappier angles. So it's like, it, you shouldn't have to think about that. Like where are we at on the field? Is that going to show up on film? Because that's the only way we're graded is how it looks on film. It doesn't matter that you saw a Jersey tug and it took a, you know, a, a small little thing. It's just, it's not big enough, especially that, that the, my current level, but you know, hopefully one day, when they are zooming in on those four HD cameras, then I'll have yeah. to change my level of, of thinking. But right now it's like, make them big and let them play. And, and my supervisor, he doesn't want those marginal calls. It's gotta be big. He wants, he jokes that grandma and the top row of the stands can see it. That's the one he wants called. So really that makes officiating easier. I'm not having to throw my flag 10 times in a game. I might at some games I might have zero flags and I'm just out there, you know, managing the players and making sure, you know, catch, no catch stuff like that, but I'm not having to throw a lot of flags. That's what a lot of people don't understand is that some of the best calls are the non calls are the passes are the, uh, was that a material? Was that a, a big restriction? You know, the foul, was it big enough? Uh, is that a gray area? Is that, uh, did it have an impact on the play? All those things are calculated when you see a, a play on a football field. And I think the best calls, man, are, are non-calls are, uh, are just because, because the big ones, they should scream out to everyone, to, to everyone there, to everyone on film. And so, yeah, when you talk about holding officials to different standards, I think you're absolutely right in the sense those NFL guys, they have to get every little, little grab and rip and everything because uh, it screams out on film with the HD cameras and everything. And so it's a very interesting discussion, Brian. Uh, so tell me, Brian, you're working great stuff in, in division three, and then eventually you uh, find your way into the big sky conference, which is, you know, one double a, uh, the football championship subdivision FCS as it's known. And uh, I mean, what was that experience? Like, I know for you, it's like a step along the way for your ultimate goal, but getting that opportunity and kind of earning a spot in that conference and that level has to be uh, so rewarding and such a, uh, it, it's a great goal within itself, but kind of tell me what was the process really for you to get there? Uh, you know, I realized it's like, okay, you got to go to, uh, to some camps because that seems to be what they, what they expect. They're not uh, watching your game film and uh, they, you know, they'll take uh, I'm talking about the division one supervisors. They're not watching your film and be like, Oh, I like him. I'm going to hire him. It's like, you got to go to their camp and do well. So I've gone, I went to the, uh, the stars and stripes Academy. It's in Salt Lake city, Utah It's put on by the supervisor of the big sky conference. And uh, I was told by a few officials and mentors that that's uh, the best one on the West coast. And obviously the big sky was, my top choice for FCS conferences, just geographically, it's, it's schools in my area. And I don't want to have to be going to the East coast for, I would for division one, like ACC type SEC, but for lower level uh, division one schools, it's, it's a lot of travel. And so I was like, I'm going to stay on the West coast. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to this uh, stars and stripes Academy. And I actually had to go four years, uh, four different times. I, I went and did well. 
and nothing. So go back and work another Division three season. I went and I went back again, and I and I thought I did well. And some, sometimes you need that. There's just no openings. It's like uh, you might have one or two spots that uh, open up for all positions each year, and you got you know a couple hundred applicants. So there's a lot of guys fighting for those positions, and uh, so you kind of have to stay positive. It's like okay, it's like it'll happen when it's supposed to happen, and so you keep going. And I was like, well. I'm not going to stop going. I'm going to, I'm going to keep going until uh, I get my opportunity. It's like, what are my other options? Just like give up. So this has been a goal that I've been very serious about and, and uh, I've been working hard for. So I was like, I'm just going to keep going until I'm the best candidate. And he has no choice but to hire me. So in between my third and fourth academy, he called and offered me a position at field judge, which is a position I never worked. Um, I, like I said earlier, I was primarily a back judge, but he said, can you work field judge? And I said, yes, I can. And so I was like, okay, and I got to learn a new position. So the first time I'd ever worked it was at this higher level. And uh, to your audience, it might not be a huge difference, but there is a it's similar, but there's quite a few different responsibilities. So I kind of dove in that kind of new challenge, working a new position. And like I said earlier, to get thrown out of your comfort zone sometimes is the best thing for you. But that, that phone call was, was, was really neat. And uh, I, I remember I was just working my day job and it came out of nowhere. And it's kind of like people say a call it comes when you least expect it. And, and that's exactly what happened. So I uh, was already signed up for that academy that year. And so actually I went because all the pressure was off now. I was like, I'm already in. So I went. I think I had my best uh, camp I, I had ever had. And I, I ended up finishing number one at my position that year. And uh, so, you know, you kind of have to call into their system but that's their way that they get to see you because there's so many good college level officials applying for that very few spots it's like it's basically like a, a trial or a, a job audition and uh, they kind of run it like a division one program there's a lot of uh, conference calls and weekly tests like months leading up to the academy it's not just a one weekend thing it's like preparation for months almost like you're preparing for a season but it's just for one game it's it's a one semi-pro game and uh but, you know, once I got that call, then it's like, wow, okay, I feel like I finally made it. But now, like, you need to show me you can do it. So, I got my very first game was uh, was a year ago. Um, I got a game at Northern Arizona. It was a Thursday night opener. Uh, so, the whole conference was watching. And uh, it that place, uh, it's in Flagstaff, Arizona. It's in a dome. So, that was a really neat experience. My my wife and my, my parents went up there and got to see that. So, that was my first uh I had had some USD games, but that was my first like big sky game. But the highlight of my season last year would have been uh, the University of Montana. Uh, that was such a cool experience. Uh, um, football is a huge deal up there. There, you know, there's no NFL teams. There's really no Division One. Like uh, they don't have any teams in like the Pac-12 or anything. So that is like their Pac-12 team. And man, they are into their, their tailgating and their stadium. The way it's designed at the University of Montana, I think it only holds like. 25,000 but it sounds like it holds 125,000 it kind of I would describe it like the University of Oregon where it kind of comes down on you and the noise is just deafening so now it's you, you throw that into the mix and then you kind of just have to control your emotions and then once the game starts you just tune out the noise and it's just football and let's do that but uh, that game was uh, I think they played North Alabama and uh, it was like the highlight of my career and I was like wow if that's the biggest game I've ever get in the last 10 years of hard work it was worth it just for that one game it was just kind of a once in a lifetime experience is the way I would describe it and then uh, 
a few weeks later, I got to work a game at Montana State University, which was almost as cool as Montana. But uh, I got to work that game with Scott Root as my referee, who I know you know, Matt. And so that was a, a really cool experience as well. But uh, just super blessed. And uh, so I got four games, and I was like, to me, I was like, the best I could hope for. And I thought I did a good job. And, and uh, I was looking forward to this season. Well, obviously, this ain't a normal year. And so as of right now, our big sky schedule got pushed to the spring. So if everything keeps going how it's going, I think it's uh, we're looking for a late February start, uh, maybe like a conference only schedule. And, um, you know, I'm still considered developmental. So maybe I'm only going to get a couple games this year, but I'm just going to make the most of it. Uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully next fall with some openings, maybe I can get on a crew and uh, we just got to get this, uh, this COVID thing under control and we'll get back to some football. Yeah, I hear you there, man. Well, I, I am your biggest fan. I am rooting for you. I love, you know, the fact that you really, as far as that's some adversity, man, having to go to the camp four times and finally getting, getting uh, that situation. So I, I am absolutely certain there's going to be plenty more ahead for you. Some, some full schedules in the big sky, I'm sure. And then uh, we hope that down the road, even bigger things, some bigger conferences at uh, division one, uh, wherever it ends up being, uh, we're, this is a little backwards, Brian, as far as kind of timeline, but I did want to mention it. Um, in 2017, uh, it was d the Division Three for NCAA, but you were on a crew that worked the 2017 National Championship game. Uh, I had on this program a few months ago, Michael Frain. He was the white hat on that, uh, that game and that crew. Uh, some of my other very good friends were on that crew, Danny Vargas, J.C. Holt, uh, other guys I've worked with. Uh, you were on that game. You were on that crew. And, and what can you tell me about working a game where a, a national champion is crowned? It's something I look back, it just makes me smile. Uh, that year we got a, an opening round game up in Linfield, Oregon, which was a huge honor. And we went up there and uh, we had a great game as a crew. And uh, basically we we're hoping maybe a chance for a, a, another game. And at that level, there's five rounds of playoffs. And so, you know, each week goes by and it's like, now there's less and less games. So it's like, oh, there's less and less chance we're going to get another one. But, uh, you know, I, I think we got a little lucky that it just happened to be kind of uh, our conference's rotation kind of to get the game. And, and the fact that we did so well in that opening round game helped our chances. But uh, we got the call, I think, uh, two weeks before. Uh, my referee, or actually Vern called me. My supervisor called. And uh, I had already gotten an email basically that morning. And so I kind of, they called the game the Stag Bowl. And I got an email about travel arrangements. So when Vern called me, I kind of already knew. But uh, it was kind of humbling. Like, oh, wow, we're about to work uh, Mount Union versus Mary Harden Baylor. Well, Mount Union's like, the De La Salle Division Three, they seem to be in that game every year. I think they're in uh, Ohio. And then Mary Harden Baylor is a, you know, power in Texas. And uh, so to get that call, and I was like, wow, just all the emotions of that excitement. And then it's like, okay, let's we get on a plane. We're going to uh, to uh, Virginia. And, uh, you know, got there. And uh, the weather was fine. But the, the night of the game, I think it was a Thursday night game, it was so damn cold. It, was, it started being windy. And, uh you know, I'm from we're from Southern California, and so, you know, you throw on some, like, underarm long sleeves, and you think you're going to be good. And then uh, that's the thing I remember the most about the game was how cold it was. Uh, the amount of fans weren't – like, wasn't in – I've been in front of bigger crowds. I mean, the game was on uh, ESPNU, so that was a little bit of added pressure. But I remember – 
just the wind and the piercing cold. And uh, so I have a new respect for officials that you see out at like Lambeau Field working on these like <laughs> blizzard games because it's like, oh, wow, that's just a, a, a different level of uh, distractions. But uh, and then another thing was all the damn TV timeouts. The game would just kind of drag along because you get the TV game. It's stopping all the time. And so now you're just out there freezing your balls off. And so you have uh, they say don't put you learn in your first year of officiating, you know, you don't stand with your arms crossed and you don't stand with your hands in your pockets. But it, on the, during the TV timeouts, I had hand warmers in my pockets and I didn't have one of those like fanny pack hand warmers because I didn't have proper cold gear. So I had my hands in my pockets. I was like, I don't care. I can't feel my fingers. So I'm putting them in my pockets. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the game was a defensive struggle. It was, uh, I think it was like three to zero in the fourth quarter. And uh, I think the final score, I think it was like nine to three. It was like a really low scoring game. And like that just means every call is that much more important because it wasn't, well, it was very close and competitive, but it was just defensive. It was just, I think part of it was because of the cold, like the receivers ball with him right in their hands. And it was like a rock that dropped straight to the ground. But I remember there was a crazy pump play. The guy muffed the ball into the end zone. It was between me and Brian Bortness. And then there was like a block that was maybe from the side, maybe from the back that happened in the end zone. And then the guy gets it out of the end zone. It just was like one of those, oh, crap moments. And you're like in the biggest game of your career. But we handled it great and just slowed down. We didn't blow our whistle. We let it play out, you know. So, you know, we, we nailed that one test. But it was late in the game. And I was thinking, I looked, joked back with him later. I was like, could you imagine if one of us had blown our whistle when that ball was loose in the end zone? On that stage, to have an inverted whistle where you got to go back and replay the down. It's like, <laughs> and there was like, because of the cold and other reasons, there was so many distractions. And we passed that test, luckily, because – that would have been a huge black eye for our careers and the conference. It would have been horrible if we'd screwed that up, but uh, <laughs> it ended up working out. But, uh, but, you know, looking back, it just makes me smile. I see the picture of the crew and uh, the crew did a great job. And uh, Michael Frank, he led us uh, very well. And uh, yeah, I still talk to some of those guys to this day and it, it was fun. I mean, hope to get bigger games. I love to work at division one national championship, yeah, but yeah. if I don't, the division three national championship is still pretty cool. Not too many people can say that. I, uh, they gave us a commemorative watch, which I kind of wear on like special occasions. It has like the logo. And then I actually splurged on a championship ring. I never got one of those from my playing days. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to give me a ring. So I yeah. got an NCAA championship ring as an official. So, Hey, I got my ring finally, you know, Hey man, brother. Oh, I, I'm a big ring guy. I love that. That's outstanding. <laughs> Uh, I will say this, Brian, you better get used to uh, more TV time timeouts in your future because I think you're going to be working on plenty of games where uh, they'll t- there'll be a TV uh, TV included in the uh, in the production. So, well, well, Brian, a great career so far. You're only getting started, I think. I think you got a lot of great things ahead of you. Um, outside of football, man, how's life? I know you've worked at UPS for a very long time. Uh, what can you tell me about kind of starting at UPS and kind of kind of that career in a nutshell? Uh, to answer your question, life is good. Uh, life is great. And, uh, yeah, I started at UPS when I was uh, 20 years old. And, uh, Started as a package handler, like everyone usually does at that company. And I, you know, started loading trucks and uh, I got hired in June of t- uh, 2004. And so June, July, August, I'm in a trailer just sweating 
bullets because it's hot in those trailers. And I'm like, man, this is some manual labor. I'm a young kid, you know, in good shape. But I'm like, I want to do something a little different. So I uh, transitioned to the sort aisle and they, they basically uh, sort the packages, but you're kind of out in the open. There's fans, so it's a little bit better. And then uh, transitioned to the bulk uh, department, which they kind of handle the uh, irregular objects uh, like tires or wooden crates or anything over 70 pounds that just can't go down the normal belt. Uh, did that for quite a few years, transitioned to the car park position, which kind of moving the package cars inside the building. So I'm not actually driving on the streets. And then I actually went into uh, a package delivery driver. I did that for uh, four, four or five years, uh, kind of had my own route in the city of Chino, which uh, is where I grew up. So I knew the town really well, but had a commercial route, which is it's a cool experience. I mean, it's hard work. There's no doubt about it, but the pay was, uh, it was a nice pay increase. And you're kind of out there on your own, you know, you got your own, your own boss, you got your headphones in listening to the Get Home Stage podcast or <laughs> listening to some music. And, uh, and uh, you know, the day goes by fast. It's amazing. It's like 10 o'clock and all of a sudden you blink an eye and it's five o'clock and you're bringing in your next day air. And, uh, but just this past uh, couple of weeks, I transitioned into uh, the feeder department. Basically, that's the, uh, the large semi trucks. I, uh, this past Monday, I passed all my tests. I got my, officially have my class A commercial license now. And I'm, I'm in my second week of training. So uh, come next Monday, I'll be my first day out on my, on my own. So I'm looking forward to that, that next chapter. It's, uh, you know, a lot less package handling, a lot less go, go, go. It's just more, you know, driving trailers around to either local businesses or you, I'll have opportunity to do uh, some longer distance stuff, maybe see some other states. Um, I think it'll help prolong my officiating career it'll be easier on my body i mean i still probably have another uh, 20 years with the company so i'm just trying to think long term but uh because i have the seniority now it's like yeah let's go it's uh time for the, the next chapter and like i said maybe something that's a little easier on my body i just they call it the feeder 50 i need to be careful now because i'm not going to be burning as many calories it's like the freshman 15 it's like the feeder 50 they have like i said these guts because they just sit and drive all day so i need to make sure my diet's on point and, uh, you know, keep trying to exercise because they don't like to, to hire football officials with little, little guts, you know? <laughs> yeah. I hear you there, man. <laughs> well, great stuff. Sounds like your uh, career at UPS is doing very, very well. And uh, yeah, you, you've progressed well through uh, with that and much like you have with football and Brian, I just think, man, uh, we've known each other a long time now. I, I just, I'm so happy for you. And, uh, great things ahead for you. And uh, I know I know your wife is one patient woman to put up with all this football, for sure. I'm very blessed. And uh, yeah, her name's Samantha. <laughs> We've been married six and a half years. And, uh, you know, we don't have any kids. So that helps. I think if I had kids at home, that uh, that would be like a lot more burden on her. But we have a, a couple of dogs that we treat like our kids. But uh, she's very supportive. Uh, it is a big time commitment, especially during the season. Um, last year, like when I went to Montana State, she went to the game and then we uh, made a little weekend out of it. We went to uh, up in the, we rented a little house and we went into Yellowstone. So I think if you could kind of include them on a, on a game or two during the year, that's something that they can look forward to. But she, her uh, her mindset was well at the high school level I was still really committed to football during the year I mean obviously at the when you're getting on a plane you're going to be gone Friday Saturday come home like Sunday afternoon well even when I was doing high school I would be gone Friday night and then Saturday I'd be working the JC game or division three I've gone all day and then Sunday it's like film stuff so I even though I was sleeping in my own bed during those nights it's not like I was really around especially if you're you know after the game you're going to go out for some pizza and beer or something so 
even at the lower levels, it's big time commitment. But the beauty is that the season is not uh, year round. It's, you know, like, you know, three, four months and before you know it, it's over. And, uh, you know, there is some off season stuff, but it's, it's uh, really dealing with time management and uh, making time for, for her and for the family and then doing the things you need to do with like a rule study and, and tests and other things that take your time. But uh, it's kind of balancing all those with your, you know, your day job and your family life and then also football, but she knows it's really important to me. And uh, she jokes that uh, she, that I need to make the NFL that way she can retire and she wants to open up a dog rescue. So that's, uh, that's her, that's her, that's her goal for me is to make the NFL. Oh man. Great stuff. Well, like I said, uh, we're pulling for you. I look forward to following uh, more of your career and uh, yeah, great stuff. Uh, great stuff, Brian. Seriously. Uh, thank you for joining us today. It was a blast catching up with you and uh, I'm looking forward to talking more football soon. Hopefully we get a chance to with this uh, later season that's starting. Well, well, thank you for having me. I, uh, yeah, hopefully it's nice having this football on. I think the SEC and Big 12 are going to be starting here this weekend, so it'll be nice to be watching them. Uh, I think the Pac-12 is actually making an announcement today if they're going to be pushing their season up, hopefully to maybe about Thanksgiving, because I think they're realizing a lot of their top players are going to be opting out, because if they're playing in, right around the NFL draft, it's like, why are their best yeah. players going to yeah. play? And then Nick mm-hmm. Saban made a comment. It's like, well, we turn this into like a JV league. Like all our best players are sitting out. So <laughs> um, I think they, the blueprint's been set that they can do it. Uh, I saw like the Notre Dame uh, Wake Forest game got postponed. I think you're going to get those, but they are playing games and they're making it work. So I think the Pac-12 and Big Ten were being a little cautious, which I don't blame them. But uh, the blueprint's been set by some of those other conferences that went ahead and they're making it work. And then obviously the NFL seems to be uh, going. I don't don't think anything was going to stop the NFL just because of the the amount of money that's behind that. But, yeah, I'm hoping, uh, you know, we get a a vaccine or we get something that kind of gets eases people's minds and we can kind of get back things back to normal and maybe we get a a shortened spring season and then by this time next fall i'm hoping that there's full stands with a hundred thousand fans and we can get back to just this beauty beautiful sport that i know you and i both love and i'm sure most of your listeners it's there's nothing more american than a good saturday college football game you know oh yeah very well said great way to end it Brian, thanks again. That was a blast. Let's chat soon. Sounds good. Thank you, Matt. Thank you so much, Brian Earls, for coming on the program, chatting some football with us after a fun weekend of football. I think Monday, what what a better way, what a fitting way to really uh, take us, uh, kick us off, really, get our week started, than to talk some football officiating, some football stories, uh, kind of as we're surrounded right now by by football and other sports too, especially in the postseason and everything. But Brian, my my best wishes to you and your family. Uh, I just I I'm really rooting for you, man. I think you're going to do great things in the officiating world. I'm excited for you. Hope, hopefully, you guys can get back on the field here real real soon. And uh, yeah, I'm your biggest fan, my friend. Good luck out there, and to uh, everyone really in the officiating world who's uh, trying to climb the ladder and do a thankless job. But uh, if, if guys like you didn't do it, Brian, who would? You know what I mean? Uh, so I'm right there with you. Uh, hang tough. Keep uh, keep pushing. Keep striving. And you're going to do some really, really great things. Thanks for coming on the show today, Mr. Brian Earls. Well, guys, tomorrow we are going to be joined tentatively with uh, by Taylor Dinius. Taylor Dinius is a former player of mine. 
He played uh, at Rio Hondo Prep in the on the eighth grade team when I was my first year of coaching. Really, uh, one of my favorite players, uh, kind of a, a tough uh, lineman type of guy, just in the middle of everything. Comes from a great football family. Had two older brothers, Taylor, Din- or excuse me, he's Taylor, Jason Dinius and Seth Dinius, who are CIF champions at Rio Hondo Prep, and just some really good football players. Great family, the Dinius family. Well, we're going to hear from uh, Taylor Dinius tomorrow. Uh, that's the plan anyway, to, to get that recording out. Uh, again, things could change, so be sure to look at social media for our updated schedule and things like that. Uh, but Taylor is actually uh, an equipment technician uh, for Mount Sac, or at least he was at one time. He he, he works with like athletic equipment for uh, uh sports teams i should say like so mount sack the football team he's got a lot of experience there with that great program uh one of the best junior college football programs in the state and the country and taylor's been a part of it working with the on the equipment side of things uh and it'll be great catching up with him hearing about some of the other things he does so more football talk tomorrow with taylor dinius and uh yeah it'll be great to catch up be sure to tune in tomorrow and join us for a fun episode on the Get Home Safe podcast with Mr. Taylor Dinius. Again, tentatively scheduled, but keep an eye out on all our social media platforms. Some of our social media platforms, for those that don't know, uh, our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. And our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at yahoo.com. We love hearing from you. So send us those emails with questions, maybe some content suggestions. Uh, maybe, I don't know, you want to tell me I'm dead wrong? That's totally fine. I'm all, I'm all, I'm all about it. I'm all ears. Send us something. We love hearing from you guys, just like you hear from us Monday through Friday, at least for now, on the Get Home Safe podcast. I know Bill Barnes is really excited about questions from the audience, so be sure to send those in for him. If you are going to send Bill Barnes a a, a question, typically we, we'd like those sent by Tuesday around noon. However, this week we're going to give you a little extra time. Uh, because of the unique scheduling and everything we're going to have, uh, we are going to move Bill Barnes's episode uh, still on Wednesday, but it's going to be pushed back to about noon, one o'clock when we release it because uh, Bill is actually going to be uh, busy on Tuesday. So we we don't want to rush an interview with him. We do want to kind of give our thoughts on the presidential debate on Tuesday night. So the plan for Bill Barnes and I is to record on Wednesday morning and we'll get that episode out to you right after that. So instead of our typical 5 a.m. release of our scheduled episodes uh, on Wednesday with Bill Barnes and the weekly Wednesday weigh-in, we will have that out probably around noon. That is the goal. So just again, keep an eye out on social media and all the various platforms wherever you listen to the Get Home Safe podcast. Well, it was a great way to start off the week. Thank you for listening to me ramble away about uh, some sports topics and some football topics early. Uh, Brian Earls, you really uh, saved, saved the day with your interview. I think it was a great way to start the week and uh, just a, a, a fun way to catch it. We've been trying to do this interview a long time. Brian was one of the original people I reached out to, and it's just been, you know, we've had different conflicts and different things. So it's in no particular order, Brian. You know that. You know that, my friend. So great time catching up with you. Looking forward to the Taylor Dinius interview on Tuesday. And of course, Bill Barnes, especially after the Tuesday night presidential debate. A lot of great things ahead, guys. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to you tuning in with us on Tuesday, Wednesday, any other days. We have the remainder of the week where we put out an episode. But guys, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe. Get home safe.